for Thursday, August 23rd, 2018. Welcome to This Is Only a Test, the official podcast of Tested.com. Happy birthday to you. birthday norman thank you how does it feel to be 21 you can go out and stay yeah. out at night now it's amazing i can vote and drink <laughs> and fire a gun yeah mm-hmm. uh it feels exactly the same i'm not big on birthdays it's actually uh the anniversary of our engagement and that's what i celebrate on this day i've, really? I've co-opted what would be my birthday. You proposed with, on your birthday? Yes. My goodness. That's it was the, it was the only no. It was the only way I could devise a uh, a plot mm-hmm. that would not seem mm-hmm. like it was out of the ordinary. Interesting. I got yeah. married on Norm's birthday. <laughs> it's nice. actually my ten year wedding anniversary. Did today you really? Too. Whoa! Congratulations. That's great. I got married two years ago, three days ago. So it's all around this date. I said happy birthday to Norman on his birthday. That's it. Ah, very good. Yeah. Very good. Yeah. Who, who, who are the famous people born this day? Do you know the famous people born on your birthdays? I, I, you know, you learn that and you forget it. I know yeah. one. Who? Bob Eckford-Ousey. Is born the same day you're born? <laughs> yeah, we're birthday bros. That's awesome. Well, that's great. Uh, I think like Kobe Bryant's born on this day, but like he's not that great anymore. Boo. I don't know. Whatever. If you're from L.A., why are you, you hating know, on one of the top ten players all the time? I, I've, I've no, he, he is a great basketball player. Just uh, I don't care much for his what he did in his personal time. Uh, anyway, welcome to the podcast this week. Of course, joined by Jeremy Williams, Kishore Hari. How's everyone doing? Is it insomnia if you wake up in the middle of the night and can't get back to sleep? Yeah. Then I got it. Oh, no. <laughs> I woke up at 3. Is this something that happens? What happened? Well, first of all, did you forget know, your man. classes? Uh, no. You set a precedent last I week. I meant, yeah, okay, fine. And we can say I forgot my glasses. <laughs> That's what yeah. the insomnia will do to you. It's, yeah, it's, it messes me up. Oh, no. Kishore, how are you doing? I'm in cosplay hell. Yeah. I, I'm, I bit off more than I can chew. Dragon Con's coming it. up. Yes. You're going to be at Dragon week. Con. I have a week to finish six cosplays. What? Uh, no, That I is mean, highly ambitious. I have... Well, I'm doing six. I finished three or f- three and a half. Uh, does this point. mean you're, you're gone next week? You're not going to be on the podcast? This... No, no, I leave on. Uh, I leave after we record. Ah, oh, okay. So Dragon Con Labor Day weekend in Atlanta, one of the biggest uh, North American cosplay conventions. Um, it's it's very. We talked about this before. Very different from a pop culture event like Comic Con. It is primarily a cosplay convention. Mm-hmm. I didn't know that. It's. I, I would say it's primarily a fandom convention mm. it's the, the the multiverse of fandoms but the way those fandoms are represented in manifest uh, isn't in giant panels with celebrities uh, it's in people in cosplay and yeah. people celebrating their love for the things they love uh, with uh, dressing up in creative cosplay really so it's really a one-upmanship of uh, of that creativity uh, last was it last year that you had the great mayor McCheese? Um, 
yeah, debut? I've been, go- I've been going as Mayor McCheese for the past two years, and he'll be back, but uh, he'll be back with some alterations. Ooh. Let's just say improvements. Mm-hmm. All right. This I, is- I helped with one. Right? Oh yes, he did. Yep. He did. It's very exciting. The yeah. legendary, the the the, not, not even apocryphal. It's true. It's confirmed. But the legend goes that Mayor McCheese, one year at Dragon Con at in a midnight, uh, showered the people with gifts. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. Right, cheeseburgers. I mean, it, I can't confirm or deny that, but it was a great platform to be elected on. Yeah, it would. This year's, more be of a, long. this year's more of a re-elect rather than a, oh. there's some incumbency in play. Mm. Uh, the one thing I'm most excited about is uh, a member of the cast of The Expanse reached out to me to be on a panel with them. So I'll be on a Science of Expanse panel Great. with four or five members of the cast, which I'm really excited about, especially since they got picked up by Amazon. That's awesome. Uh-oh. Something wrong? Something going on? No, I just find out what number we're doing here. Oh, gosh. Okay. Insomnia, baby. Oh, my gosh, Jeremy. <laughs> uh, so you got, you're got you in cosplay. We're not going, unfortunately. Uh, some of our friends, Bill Duran's going to be there. Uh, a lot of our friends in the cosplay community and the makeup community are going to be there. So you got to represent Kishore. Take some great photos. I can't wait to hear about the stories that you come back with. I was going to ask you, if I take good enough photos, maybe we can put together a... Um, a small little gallery? Yeah, a little gallery on the sure. side. D- don't make it like the thing you do, because that that can consume your, your enjoyment also, of the event. I'm also not a high quality photographer, so I didn't want to say that. Yeah, I said I, it. <laughs> you do all kind. You used to do that more often. You yeah. should do that again. Uh, it, it is it is all encompassing. It becomes Basically, what you do. It becomes it becomes yeah. what you do, and, and there's too much to do. Uh, all right, are you back from your insomnia, Jeremy? Are you recovered? No, dude. It's gonna be the whole show. Well, then let's go into our top story. This week. All right. So, a uh, big story is actually a piece of technology this week a long awaited debut of NVIDIA's next generation video cards. Now, this uh, is the Volta series of video cards. And uh, the fun thing is always coming, uh, hearing what they're going to do with the naming scheme. Because you remember, they, they went from, gosh, do you, I, I, can you list out the, no. the chronology, uh, uh, chronology of NVIDIA cards? You had the Riva, the Riva 128, right? The TNT, TNT2, uh, then GeForce came out. GeForce, I believe, launched uh, GeForce 1, GeForce 2. Uh, then they went to the... Um, they kind of stuck with GeForce, though. Right, right. Yeah. right. And, and then the, the number, numbering uh, yeah. scheme, you know, the 4200, 4400, 4600, 5500 series. Then they went to the three digits, the 280, okay. uh, 480, 580, 680, and then 980, and then 1080 that was, la- was like, the most recent one. How long ago was that? A couple Two years, years ago. Yeah. And now it's the 280, but as opposed to the GTX. 2080. The 2080, sorry. Uh, it is now the RTX 2080 series, which mm-hmm. we had seen hints of the architecture uh, from the Quadro uh, the, at Seagraph. They announced the, the high-end workstation version of that card. Now, the RTX moniker is really to emphasize the big, big differentiating feature, the big performance jump is in ray tracing. This is going to be a consumer card that finally will allow developers to tap into some ray tracing uh, tech for for lighting and shadows. They demonstrated... Did you watch the live stream? I watched a bit of clips of the, the demos they did. But it's not a real 
it's not an amazing live stream. <clears throat> but you did get very, to see very long. It's very long and a little dry, but they did show some interesting demos. They showed um, you know, basically that what that ray tracing is going to do is improve shadows yep. and improve reflections. Yeah, so a little bit of a primer for how shadows reflections work in video games versus in big budget films. Uh, in uh, in video games and on, on desktop gaming, because you have to churn out uh, frames at what fourteen milliseconds, one every fourteen milliseconds at, at thirty or sixty FPS, um, and in some cases much higher depending on the refresh rate of your monitor. Yep. Uh, you they do a lot of cheats for the lighting. You bake in light maps. You do all the work beforehand. Or you don't do all the calculations because you don't want to... A lot of the efficiencies in graphics card rendering is not rendering what the user doesn't see, what's occluded in the field of view. If there's a character or object in the foreground and you're not seeing what's in the background, the system knows and will not render what's in the background. But the objects in that background still have an effect on the world in, in, in if you think about how photons work and how light works. And the only way you can get a very realistic depiction of lighting and shadows is if you uh, do something like ray tracing, which is actually calculating what happens with light as it hits all the objects in the scene. And not just things that are occluded, but things that are off screen. Like a lot of times reflections these days the, are done by looking at what's on the screen, doing yeah. screen space you know, interpolation where you decide what the user might be able to see. Mm -hmm. But if there's something off to the left that's way off your screen, it doesn't render that as a reflection. Right, right. Now with ray tracing, you would be able to. Right. Now, I, now my question is, like, do you, do you really care about this? Does, they, does the consumer really care about it? Does the person playing Fortnite or Counter-Strike? Are the approximations or, good enough in uh, order to create an immersion? I, I think... Yes. Yeah. And I think even in Hollywood, a lot of the the rendering, a lot of the the, the new engines coming out of Disney, uh, they of course still use ray tracing to get the best results that way. But they still incorporate some of these these shortcuts here and there because they can get some really cool effects um, in post processing. Um, and even with ray tracing, like you can, you can there's never enough computing power because. The way light works in the real world, you can bounce, it bounce, never stops bouncing. Right? Infinite, and infinite rays. Exactly. So uh, you have to kind of limit, you know, uh, how, how much you want the light to bounce and what, what is good enough then. There's always going to be a creative decision. And that is now what you're paying for. You're, the, the price point started, what is it, $700 for the. Uh, it is 30% higher. Yeah. Graphics cards, I mean, when's the last time you bought a graphics card? Is it probably a 980 or something? Uh, no, I actually bought a 1080. You bought a 1080, but like when you think of a high-end graphics card, yeah. building a PC, you think of it probably being like a third the cost of your computer. Well, it used to be before right. the Bitcoin miners. Yeah, right. Like you want to spend 400 to $500 at most. Yep. And a really good sweet spot for a graphics card is about $300 right. price if you want to build a, about a $1,000 computer. You spend mm -hmm. $300 graphics card, 250 on the CPU, the rest on the other parts. Uh, now, if you, wanna, if you want this 2080... What is it, 700 for the base model? And that's not even, the, that's not the Founders Edition. The Founders Edition that you can pre-order now is more expensive than that. It's yeah, another it's over $1,000. Yeah. And then the TI version, which we're launching at the get-go, as yeah. opposed to being a, a six-month-later update, that's going to be, what, thirteen or $1,400 uh, after tax. Yeah. And that's, like, each one of those tiers now, you get more rays. That, like, the, the TI, you get 10 giga rays. Right. You know, but you right. only get eight with the one down with the regular 2080. So let's go to the, the practical implications, what, what they showed in the demos. Uh, something that I think was previously shown at GDC, I want to say, was a Star Wars 
demo. I think I guess they have a partnership with Marvel, and they showed a scene with um, uh, Captain Phasma, two stormtroopers in an elevator, and it's that was an, yeah. rendered not, at. It's a non-interactive short film. Yes. Yeah, not interactive meaning that uh, not actual game, but rendered in real time. Yes, real time, absolutely. So they could freeze at any time, go close in, and run it at 30 FPS. Uh, And Chrome being the uh, texture of uh, Captain Phasma is perfect to show off ray tracing. Absolutely. Was that one rendered on the the 2080 and not the super high-end ones that they're making for Hollywood? Because they announced those at SIGGRAPH. I I think those were on the Quadros. Yeah. yeah, the $10,000 cards. Yeah, yeah. And they were, yeah. I, the the new TI, though, can do it in even faster. Like, I forget what the what the uh, milliseconds was, but it looked like it was even faster than the, uh, than the supercomputer one. Hmm. Um, and then uh, there's also, uh, they showed a Spider-Man demo. And this was, like, really to sell this to Hollywood filmmakers, right, uh, CG art, effects artists. In filmmaking, because that was not in real time rendering. That was like choppy, what looked like five FPS uh, rendering. But they said the fidelity of that scene it would be good enough for filmmakers to use for previs and for animation. Um, again, the upshot is that for gamers, they really didn't talk about what this would mean for gamers because it, developers haven't tapped into this feature really. This is going to be uh, another. Um, uh, splitting of the user base. If we're talking about, like, remember, uh, like DX10 and buying a graphics card for features that may or may not be sort supported by new yeah. games. Definitely not supported by existing games. And the benefits. There are probably some speed benefits from existing games, but would they warrant paying seven hundred or a thousand dollars for a new card? The thing is, it's just going to make those certain games look a lot better. Like the games that take advantage of it. Remember, like when Batman—I forget which Batman it was—was was it Arkham Asylum? Sure. One of them took advantage of physics, yeah, in a, in a yeah. way that nothing yeah, else, the first one, yeah, really did. Yeah. And it it just had all these amazing, uh, you know, not particles but actual objects floating around the mm-hmm. world and mm-hmm. interacting with the ground and exploding. They didn't affect the gameplay. They, they didn't add mechanics. But they just made it look a little prettier. And I'm sure that's going to be the same thing here once we start seeing AAA games embrace these new cards. And they list a bunch that will. But the, the AAA games are mo- presumably mostly cross-platform games. Yeah. Yep. And so the lowest common denominator is always going to be what's on the current consoles. Like these graphics cards and these these cores are not in the, the consoles. And so they're going to be optimized for the consoles anyway. And so... It really is. You're you're appealing to the PC market, and even within the PC market, a subset, very small subset of that for the very high end. Because I think the vast majority of the PC gamers buying graphics cards right now just want frame rate. Yep. They just want things to run at 60 FPS, 144 FPS. They want their this is the way it's always been. Yeah. It's it's always been this way. Totally. And like the fact that that miners kept the prices of video cards up for so long, I bet you there is a latent market of PC gamers that are ready to upgrade their video cards that haven't been able to. Maybe. Well, they didn't talk time. about the mining, but presumably these cards will be great for mining. I wondered if like they would try to lock that out somehow. I don't think they would. I don't either. It sells cards, right? It, it, their stock goes up when they sell these cards. <laughs> and one of the after effects of this, which we have not felt, it is that... It creates customer animosity, though. It does. Like the, it seeds bad feelings in the community. Sure, but th- do they really care? Because uh, one of the other effects is that the 1080s that were all bought up for mining, m- there may be a huge influx into the the secondary market of used 1080s. Oh. But 
what's different is that now you have to buy your own risk. Previously, you would buy like a last gen card wow. at you know half the price and be okay with it. Now these will be burned out cards. Cards have been running twenty four seven. And I don't know about that though. I think that they would put they would keep the Chinese. They would just keep, keep, keep them running. Why not? That's power like, efficient. All, all you need. Well, it's still. It depends on like the price of Bitcoin. And right now it's down. So that's good. That's good for people who want to play games. Right. Hopefully it stays down through this launch period. Well, what about something that needs extra power from a GPU like VR? They didn't talk. They, VR was not mentioned once in this epic yeah. live event. They, and all, they did mention foveated rendering for a moment. Mm. And they said that this there will be some processes that help with that. And, and VR does not benefit from... I mean, yeah, all games, all content will benefit from ray tracing once this, but VR really needs the extra frames, needs to be render things at high resolution. And, and all the performance benchmarks are at 4K, right? Because this is, this is a card for people who have 4K displays yeah. or 5K displays and want to run things at uh, 60 FPS. The only performance chart they have is not even in terms of frame rates, but in terms of, if, uh, I mean, and, and I hate when they do this, is in terms of uh, performance multiples. You know, this card is, quote-unquote, twice as fast as a 1080, but if 1080 was running at 10 FPS at this a certain setting, I thought 20 were, FPS I thought someone released benchmarks, though, yesterday. Um, Tom's Hardware or somebody. Yeah, I haven't seen, I haven't seen those yet. Uh, it does seem, and they didn't mention this either, but it does seem to have that new port on the back. It does. It does have uh, the new uh, new standard for uh, for VR. No, none of the new hardware or none of the hard, current hardware supports that yet. I think it's what is it called, Virtual Link? Um, it's like a USB C. Yeah. So what it has is it's basically uh, Display Link 1.4 and the bandwidth for that uh, with built-in USB C uh, data, so data throughput and also power up to. 15 watts or up to 27 watts if necessary yeah. to power the headset, like, which, like, is, which is a lot. Like USB-C. Yeah. So that's great. So it's got everything. Yes. Power, One video, cable video to roll data. it all. Yeah. Uh, the question is how long can that cable be? Right. And we need power to do a repeater uh, like you do on some of the headsets, which need external power. A feature we haven't mentioned that they talked a lot about is this new AI component to this video card. And mm. I'm really curious about this. So... Is this for the super sampling? Um, it's to fill in pixels. It is literally to, to fill in resolution that isn't actually rendered. Interesting. So they, they said that they used the supercomputer and computer learning, and they fed it you know, millions of images, of low-res images, along with what it should render if it was uh, doing a high-res version. And it taught the computer, the supercomputer, how to interpolate those pixels. How, if you were to say enhance, you know, as you would if you were on 24 or whatever, uh, they've come up with a way to do that now. So you can feed in a lower res image, the, the AI will fill in the gaps to up res it. So this is uh, using some specific tensor cores that's in, 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 the, gra uh, in the chip. And um, it's for, it is for super sampling. It's called a deep learning super sampling. Um, which is a way uh, to make textures look better. So mm -hmm. they can make those textures uh, as opposed to have to actually render, uh, push those textures through the cores again multiple times to get you the best image quality at those angles uh, filled in. So it's only for textures? It's not for the final rendered image? I th uh, t it's an Im image, f the textures within that image. Yeah, like yeah. All the polygons. Right. I don't think it's actually but for it's not the full for that frame. 4K I don't think it's rendered frame. frame. Okay, no. that's a relief because yeah. I I watched that whole video and I didn't get that. So thank oh. you, thank you for clarifying. You, you, that. Were you wondering? And maybe it's 
a pure speculation on my part. Maybe that's something that can be applied for compression artifacts. Mm-hmm. Right. If you're talking about applying it to a full, full frame scene, right, um, improving the quality of perhaps you know H two six five H two six four compression artifacts. Um, uh, we don't have one of those cards. Uh, they are up for pre order already. Um, and are you going to get one? Oh. What do you have right now? You have a 1080? I have, I have, no, I have a 980. Um, Sometimes NVIDIA reaches out to Norm and asks if he wants one. Yeah. yeah. Sometimes. They haven't, they haven't done it in years. Um, if, if they offer it, we'll test it for VR. I think that's, that's the most interesting application for us. And uh, for me, the current card I have is perfect for, you know, for everything I needed so far. Though there are some games coming out that require 1080, right? Yeah, no, that's true. Yeah, and, that's true. And but we'll see what those prices uh, yeah, drop down to. I think that's good news. I, I mean, following one generation behind is not a bad strategy. No, the, the, I, mean, I, I think we've reached that sweet spot. Not everyone has 4K monitors, right? Uh, not everyone has 144 hertz monitors. I think a real good sweet spot for gaming right now is uh, 2.5K at 144 hertz. But if you can run 2.5K, 2560 by 1600 or 1440 at uh, at 60 hertz. Plenty of cards that can do that. You don't necess- you don't you don't need to drop fourteen hundred dollars on a new video card right now, unless you're making that money back on Bitcoin. No, on mining. On. Yeah, um, that's a nerdy top story, my friend. They, we're, we're going back to our roots, our tech. Let's get to something more fun. All right, hodgepodge of pop culture news uh, this week. We're going to start off with some movie news. Were you guys looking forward to the next James Bond film? I am. I actually have liked the, well, I mean, the Daniel Craig movies have been uneven, but I like him as Bond. I've been looking forward to the next James Bond film only in that knowing it will be Daniel Craig's last outing. I'm ready for the franchise to move on and be refreshed, uh-huh. and Bond is a character that has been refreshed and rebooted, soft-rebooted multiple times. I love, I want them to end on a strong note because it started on such a strong note with Casino Royale, uh, and like you said, been a bit uneven. And Daniel Craig has signed on to do one more James Bond, and I want him to get through it so we can find out who the next James Bond's going to be. And it may be a little longer because the film no longer has a director. Uh, previously, uh, the last two I think were Sam Mendes... Uh, who directed last? Who directed Spectre? And uh, this new one was going to be directed by Danny Boyle. I think we were very excited uh, at this prospect of a Danny Boyle James Bond film. I did not know that, or I forgot that. That would have been exciting. And he has uh, he's backed out of it due to the uh, creative differences. It's always creative differences. Always creative differences. Never monetary differences. It's 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 always creative differences. Uh, so. Uh, who would you like to direct the new James Bond film? There are three people rumored already. Oh, let's hear them. Uh, so there's a a French director, Jan Demange. Demange? Um, he did uh, Hell or High Water. Okay. Um, there's David, or I'm sorry, David McKenzie, who did Hell or High Water. Jan Demange did, um, he's directed a lot of TV. But then there's a third name, Denis Villeneuve. Oh, what? what? Denis Villeneuve? That seems pretty exciting to me. I don't think that's the... I, he, would he do it? Wow. That would get me 
super excited. Who's He's this? working on two. This he is did the Sicario and oh, Blade, Blade Runner, Runner 2049. Oh my god! Wow. He's okay. like I. I don't know if Blade Runner is a good like exemplar to think about how he would approach Bond, but Sicario is absolutely. Yeah. Uh, wow. That's really out of left field. That one that would sense. get me interested. I think yeah. I'm kind of bored with Bond as a character, like the current Bond. I was th- thinking when you asked, "Are we excited about Bond these days?" I feel like Bourne, you know, series and Mission Impossible have overtaken it for that kind of film that I go to see. The spy film. I want to go have fun. Yeah. I want to see an adventure. I right. want to see somebody solve problems. Right. And then what they set up in the last Bond film uh, with uh, the villain. Uh, I don't want to spoil. It's, it's been out for a couple of years, yeah. but the, the relationship between him and the villain. I don't. I don't really care about that story. Too cerebral. Yeah. Well, I, I don't mind it being cerebral. It just has to be fun, fun as well, um, and and maybe not so melodramatic. Yes. Both, both Skyfall and Spectre looked into the psyche of Bond and the past of Bond, and I just want him to go on an adventure. Would you be excited about an Idris Elba successor? I would be, but I think he's a little old. I think the time. I think it would five years ago would have been a great time to do Idris Elba's Bond, and and I know the arguments are that you know Roger Moore didn't start Bond until he was older, but uh, I would love for him to be in a Bond film, and I think it's unfortunate the time is passed. I would love for someone like Idris Elba, like, which is a different type of Bond. Bond can be a woman. Bond can be. That doesn't have to be oh, sure. just a white dude. Um, and I just think we haven't seen um, Idris Elba maxed out as a character uh, on film. Because um, like if you saw the show Luther, he's really great in that TV show. Uh, he was incredible in The Wire. Of course, yep. Um, and so I, I'm ready for this big star turn for him. Yeah, Heimdall. Thor was not, not... best. Not, not the greatest use of... Of Idris Elba's presence or talents, yeah. Uh, so that's why I, w- I want them. To, I, want, I want to get this film done so I can see it and then move on to the next Bond. That's that's my take on it. Uh, and another thing we'll have to wait longer for, unfortunately, is on the TV side the Galaxy Quest TV show. No, never give up, never <laughs> surrender. Never surrender. This show is going to come. I was mostly excited about it. I mean, beyond the fact it was Galaxy Quest. But it was Paul Shear helmed, yeah. and he is just hilarious, and he loves the original stuff. So I was excited about this vision. Uh, Paul claims that it's just on hold; it's not canceled. So Internal problems at Paramount TV. The creative rights differences, I think, is what we call um, it. Oh, right, weird. right, right. Uh, this is going to be an Amazon show, and I'm okay for them putting this on hold for just a little bit because I want them to spend money. Amazon. Has spent a ton of. I think the success they've had with the marvelous Miss Meisel has uh, really galvanized their ambitions for uh, streaming television. Of course, their big push this year is their Jack Ryan show, and I wish them all the best on that. Um, I mean, I don't know. I, I don't know about that. I, one. Yeah, I mean, they spend a lot of money. It could be good. I, I'll watch a couple episodes. I got Prime, right? I'm, I'm still paying for Prime. Uh, and then, of course, the uh, in the not too distant horizon, the Lord of the Rings show. So maybe this could fit somewhere in between there. They don't have the Netflix type. They do have the money, but they don't have. They're not willing to spend the Netflix kind of money to just churn out shows. I, I do like the strategy of picking up shows that have been canceled that have a hardcore following. Like their, yeah, the expense, their, of expense, course. Yes, pickup yes. was really smart for that. I bet you they're going to do that with a couple other shows uh, coming out. So it makes sense. And and one of the things that Paul Shear had said a while ago when they announced his involvement, what his pitch was for the Galaxy Quest TV show, because this was the revival after 
the failed reboot because of uh, the unfortunate passing of Alan Rickman, um, is that he wanted to take the idea of Galaxy Quest, what it meant back in 98 when it came out for fans of Star Trek, still in its kind of rebuilding period, to what it means, like how that kind of show parallels fans' relationships with pop culture and fandom today, which is very different than what it was back when the, you know, before even the Star Wars prequels came out. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the nerds have won. The, exactly. And, and what does that mean and how does that apply? What if Galaxy Quest was this multi-billion dollar TV franchise? How does that affect its fans? And how does it re- reflect what the aliens out there, the Thermi- Thermians, uh, think, of, uh, think of pop culture? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> if I grab Thor's hammer, you shall be avenged. Uh Speaking of the things of nostalgia, uh, we're still waiting for more footage, any footage at all, from Stranger Things season three, and this might be a good time to revisit. Did you guys have you guys rewatched Stranger Things season two? No, no. Have what? you? I don't think it's a good show to rewatch. Really? Well, it, because it's like a suspense thing. It's so long. Loop. Like yeah. I might rewatch a movie, but man, that series. This is, this is a problem with the, the golden age of television. Great stuff comes out, and because there's so much of it, like I want to rewatch Stranger Things. I want to re- and I have seen like the, the opening episode, the season two again. Huh. But I want to rewatch Westworld because there's a yeah. lot of stuff that bears revisiting and things that you might notice. And one of the things is appreciating not just the story as you're watching the first time around, but the cinematography, mm-hmm. the, how they made the show. And Netflix has released um, this behind-the-scenes video with interviews with the Duffer Brothers and also the camera ops and the cinematographer of Stranger Things to talk about specifically how they made the look of the 80s as we remembered it on digital. I wanted more concrete examples from this video. but You got the, yeah, like two yeah, or three examples. Yeah, that's, I wanted more. But he mentions one of them is when you light a dark room, yeah. you never see blue light coming in th- through the windows anymore. But that is, when you think about it, that is a look of yeah. horror films in the 80s. Yeah. Fright Night, all that stuff is all blue, very blue, outside, cold, as if it was raining outside. Or it's supposed to be like ultra bright moonlight, I guess. Yeah, yes, right, right. Like yeah. hard shadows. Like that, And that is a look. And he says you would never see that anymore, but that's how they lit the interiors. And maybe that... that what we want is really a conversation with among cinematographers. Why? Yeah. Why do we not want to see that anymore? Is it because we have better lights or because we have better understanding of what interior spaces are supposed to look like? Is it the cameras? Is it the lights? And is this is something... Taste? Is, is this... Like, how do you get that information? Did he talk to cinematographers from the day or did he just analyze movies? I think that's what they do. They just watch Just movies. watch movies. It's not a bad job. Well... It's their. It is their job. Yeah. Right. They have to understand it. They have to understand the past to to make the present. It's cool. They have and, to be you know academics in their own field. And when they were in the caves, they uh, mm-hmm. they backlit it one hundred percent, and they yep. gave everybody flashlights. And then what was interesting is the flashlights because you had like the actors' faces. Yeah. It's all reflected. It's ray tracing. And he said, if you want to be seen, just aim the flashlight at the white parts of the wall, and they will reflect better. Is that interesting for the actors to yeah, to be aware of naturally that. light themselves? Yeah. As they're waving their flashlights in, in the scene. I wonder if they're just kids and they were, you know, hamming for the camera. They're just like constantly playing games. Well, and so I'm going to overlight myself. No. And, and, you know, being aware of what the characters, are, the motivations of the characters in that scene. Uh, I, I mean, we all talk about like how that show captures the tone of the 80s with the music and, mm-hmm. and the, the set dressing, but it's also how it's actually filmed. 
and, and maybe one of those reasons why those sh- like shows like that bear rewatching and and this applies a lot of like the the genre and nostalgia shows like Fargo right on FX has a very specific look it's not ripping off the Coen brothers uh, but it's it has a distinct offbeat look to it um, other uh, Netflix talk uh, Netflix has uh, unveiled the first trailer to something I'm very excited for season two of American Vandal you think there are legs on this? I, I think it's, it was one of the best pieces of television last year. It was great, but do you think they, like, uh, you know, any type it, of, you know, farce kind of thing like this? They could, they, could bear, they could run the joke into the ground. Can you give me a little primer? So did, did you watch American Vandal season No, one? that's did why I need a primer. Ah, uh, okay. Um, American Vandal was a spoof of uh, true crime style documentary storytelling. So from the uh, – Netflix has uh, true crime documentaries. Uh, what was the one about that murder? Uh, the, was it Robert um, uh, Durst? Yeah, I can't remember the name of it. But basically – like American Murderer. Yeah, Serial, right? Yeah. The, the podcast. Mm-hmm. But the, the storytelling style of Serial, but in, in video form, the documentary style form, they took that format and applied it to a high school – setting where the mystery was who drew the dicks on the walls of this of the school or on, on the cars in the parking lot mm-hmm. and so a completely farcical idea but they approached the filmmaking of it seriously and the idea and the conceit of it was it was made by and uh, one of the students the student from their av class was making this documentary and they took it seriously I'm watching the trailer, and in the trailer, they actually show the people looking at the American Vandal listing on Netflix. Yeah, because it's, <laughs> it's gone meta. Because <laughs> because uh, just as in Serial, right, which is the, the one that you can probably relate to best, as that story, as that mystery was being uh, investigated in real time, mm-hmm. the episodes were coming out, and the popularity of the show was bleeding into their investigation. And they took that, they ran with that idea and said this this little mini doc that he'd been filming, editing, putting on YouTube was blowing up and people were coming out with new evidence and and, and it changed how they approached okay. the, the investigation. So it was all very meta then and they've leaned into that yet again with a second story. It's actually the same students, the same two filmmakers from the fiction of the first film who are now going to a second school and investigating a new mystery. I think they're going to burn it out. And it's it's poop jokes all the way. All right. I hope it's as good as you hope. I, I really, I, I hope so. Um, well, we'll talk about that, this other thing later. Um, uh, music. Yeah. We, this so, is, this so, is a, so kind of an offbeat story. We don't, well, it is for us because we never talk about music. But yeah. music should be a p- part of pop culture. Sure, sure, sure. So what's the greatest uh, selling artist of all time? Michael Jackson. That's Beatles. Thriller. Yeah, so you, you might think that, right? And I, I think it was Michael Jackson until recently. Thriller was the best-selling album until recently. When the Eagles' greatest hits... A greatest hits album. Greatest hits. Went how many times platinum? Platinum is a, is a million albums sold. So, how many times? what, 36X platinum? Yeah. That triple diamond? Is that what they call that? Triple and a half? That's, uh, that's amazing. It's, yeah. 
It's basically because anyone that's buying Eagles albums are like, I'm not going to buy any of these individual well, albums. I'm just going to buy the greatest hits. <laughs> I, I think what, what Bear's talking about is the accounting and the te- how technology informs the accounting of album sales. One, the reason this is now the new revelation is because they don't tally it on a day-to-day basis. It's like every couple of years, mm-hmm. they revisit the numbers, retally, and add to, to recertify the, the status of how many sales. And in modern day... People don't go, there are no record stores to buy albums from. And people are rarely buying albums from even places like iTunes, entire albums. You buy individual songs, you stream songs. So the, uh, the uh, what is it, the recording, uh, RPAA, what is it? What is it? RIAA. RIAA. Uh, they account, what, what, what is an album download is a purchase of 10 songs, individual songs from that album. If 10 people, different people, buy the same song from that Eagles Greatest Hits album, buy it, buy it, that counts as one album sale. Yeah, it's messed up. It's not like if 10 people bought each bought one of those tracks. It used to be so much simpler. And for streaming, if a song from that album gets streamed 1,500 times, that counts as one album buy. I can, we did not contribute to this in our family, by the way. This whole Eagles overtake, my kids know Michael Jackson. They know the hits. And have they been streaming? They wouldn't recognize an Eagles song if it was played to them. They wouldn't know what that was. Hotel California? No? Nope. Nothing? Wow. You know why? Man, come on. I had a rough night, and I hate the fucking Eagles. Man. <laughs> well done. Uh, but isn't that interesting that um, the, the, that's the way things are accounted by now? So they run an audit through streaming services, through music download services, uh, purchase ser- services, and... I foresee album sales, quote-unquote sales, these numbers actually increasing over time. Why? Because there are more legitimate services for people to stream and, and ways to listen to, to music. When, when you have Amazon Music, when you have Spotify, when you have Pandora being the ubiquitous ways to listen to music cheaply or even free in some cases, it's not – people are pirating less. The, the concept of downloading an album, pirating an, an album – when it comes out, is really that was a, a decade long phase, a decade and a half long phase in, in consumer culture. Now people are just Apple Music, Spotify. Yep. And so people are technically buying more, and they're paying their monthly f- subscriptions. They're buying more albums, as as the RIA equates as album purchases, more more so than ever now. Got to listen if you want to get Michael Jackson on top. Just tell your kids, fifteen hundred listens streams. Pick their favorite song on Thriller. Mm-hmm. Listen to it 1,500 times. That's an album purchase. And if they do that 10 million times, they can maybe get Thriller back on top. I don't know. I bet there's more parents doing the same thing with the Eagles. Yeah, yeah. Or parents of parents also. Um, HBO um, has uh, they previously uh, announced an order for a pilot of Watchmen an adaptation of Watchmen uh, run by Damon Lindelof. And now uh, it's been confirmed they have bought the entire series. They have, um, they have ordered the whole, uh, more than just a pilot, but ordered the series, I think before even the pilot was picked up. This is HBO's first uh, comic book show. Yeah, which is not a very comic booky type show. Yeah. Do you need this? I'm, I'm excited to watch it because it's not the same story. 
Yeah, it supposedly iterates. It's, you know, it'll be 30 years later. It'll be, uh, and, and then so it's not a bastardization of the, the original text because that text stands on its own. And the movie, I think, still stands on its own as it's as an exercise and adaptation. Uh, this is just a fan. It's, it's, it's like very, very expensive fan fiction, which I'm, I'm happy to watch. So the, the cast is kind of grizzled vets. Jeremy Irons, who's always a little creepy in anything. Love it. Love it. Who do you think he is? Viet type no character? I have no idea. Like, he's got to be a villain, right? Yeah. Isn't he always the villain? Yeah. Don Johnson. Comedian type character. Oh. So, like, okay. Tim Blake Nelson, who's who's kind of always a little bit of a weirdo. Louis Gossett Jr., who I've not seen since, what what was that? fighter movie back in the 80s this is not this is not a young spry no these uh, are older people i don't i don't anticipate spandex wearing well and this this speaks to my concern which is that marvel has demonstrated how to make money with a superhero franchise and fun everybody is going to want that a piece of that sure does hbo expect to get that from the watchman no they expect to tell this is such dress set dressing for dramatic stories and as long as the stories are compelling, yeah. people are bought into HBO already, and they just want to see interesting, more interesting stories. Okay. So you think that they're intentionally going a different direction, and people are going to be okay with that? I don't, I don't think they're going for mainstream phenomenon. And, and we've talked about how HBO has new edicts from their, their yep. new overlords. Make so money. This may not be the right strategy if we're going to go in that way, because Watchmen, even in the comic book world, while recognizable, is not the kind of thing that kids are clamoring to see more of it's more for old old folks like us i think kids will tune in to see the first episode of something no you don't think so this is not for kids no it's not, it's not for for oh no, no no i agree with you i agree with you yeah, yeah. this will be for parents yeah there's no merchandising opportunities here like this is not gonna be game of thrones and game of thrones isn't for kids either i i, I don't think this is the this is it's not westworld either and i don't think i need it to be westworld mm-hmm. i'm happy for this to be um like uh, sharp objects or um, um, pretty. Uh, what's what's the the liars one? Succession, that one. No. The, oh, Pretty Little Liars. Yes. Yeah. HBO did Fraggle Rock. That was for kids. Well, they also do it, Sesame Street. Yeah, there's Sesame. Street. Oh my God, that is so weird. I, I will not get used to that. Well, and you can also watch uh, the, the Muppet movie then, the the new Muppet movie. Hugely disappointing, apparently. Is it? Rotten Tomatoes, twenty seven percent on Rotten Tomatoes. Happy Time Murders. But I wonder, is that because they're offended? Or because They're it's bad. I bet you, you don't get down to 27% unless it's bad. Even South Park movie, hugely offensive. Yeah. High 90s. Yeah. Okay. The trailers looked a little bit funny. Okay. And, and it, is, uh, it is Brian Henson. It is the Henson Company. It is the Henson Company. It is the, it, and, and people don't, a lot of people don't realize that Jim Henson had a dark side, and he was not afraid to embrace the dark. Well, yeah. I think the Muppets were always intended to be subversive. Mm-hmm. But uh, there's a difference between subversive and R-rated and, <laughs> and flat out gratuitous, though. So I don't know. Okay, we'll see. Uh, something definitely meant for kids is a new show on Disney XD, um, and this is the follow up to um, uh, to Clone uh, Rebels, uh, Dave Filoni's new show. It is animated, and it's called Star Wars Resistance. This is the anime one. This is well. This is the one that when they sh- first showed the screenshot, we thought. It was inspired by the anime one. And our hopes for this series would be that it was like an anime-style uh, Starfighter 
show. It is a Starfighter-based show. It is Poe Dameron and some recruits uh, learning how to be um, uh, pilots, uh, resistance pilots. And there is a cel-shaded look to it, even though it's it's rendered. It's yeah. cel-shaded 3D. polygon, 3D. Yeah. Uh, definitely has a, a, a younger tone, younger audience in mind for this. But the combat looks good. The combat? You mean the aerial combat? The aerial combat, yeah. yeah. A lot of it's I, over water. I have a hard time watching this cel-shaded kind of look. Do you? Uh, I think it really emphasizes a much younger crowd. Hmm. Because this this is the look that a lot of, like, Disney XD Junior kind of shows have. Hmm. It, it doesn't look unpolished. No. Uh, visually. Uh, the question I have is, is any of this animation performance capped? Or is it all hand animated hmm. with CG models? And I'd be really curious... Uh, people want to reach out even through just Twitter DMs because you, you uh, think performance cap might be a cheaper, faster way to do faster it. Faster way to do some of the the, the animation. Yeah, I wonder. And, and some of the some of the hand animations, some of the body animations, Kinda. look a little bit. Do they performance cap to okay. me? Um, face stuff, I think you got to you got to do by by hand. Um, but I'm, I'm curious how modern cell shaded looked computer animation is is actually animated. Are there a repository of just you know? Of, of gestures and poses that they just pull from. My feeling about the cell shaded thing is, it's there aren't a unlimited number of aesthetics that you can aim for on this kind of budget. Like they have to make a series and they're three D rendering it. That's still kind of new. So cell shading happens to be one that they think that they can pull off on you know, and uh, if the story's good, it's going to be good. And you got a lot of versatility with that look because you're designing one model that you can view at many sides as long as the rendering engine takes care of a lot of the, the outlining and, and the polish. Mm-hmm. Um, so you don't have to be laborious frame by frame drawing it out or even animating it out. Uh, it is a technique that is employed by uh, animation studios that do things like Futurama. And that's that same technique and same studio worked on Disenchantment, I which could, was I dropped could... on Netflix <laughs> Last week, I couldn't get uh, one minute into it. One minute? No, I, wow. as soon as, no. When the princess was like burping, I was like, oh, "This is just stupid. I'm not going to finish this episode." Was it good? Did I miss out? I can't get through. I got through four episodes, and I'm oh, I'm not into it. Okay, see, I'm only through three, and I have to admit, I'm not even loving it. And I'm I'm a pretty big honk in this category. <laughs> yeah. Um, just like the Elfo character, I cannot get behind that character. It's so silly. I'm actually okay with the princess. I got past, you know, what Jeremy's talking about, but not. It's just the chemistry between the characters isn't working That's, for me. I, I think it's both the chemistry between the characters that, that that may take a full season to develop. Uh, I, I that's why I want to give it more episodes. But the basic plots between the episodes don't take advantage of the setting. I think as much as uh, they could. Where Futurama had. You know, went straight up hard science fiction to tell these very simple stories. Here, you—they're not riffing on fantasy as much as I, I hoped. Mm. They're, they're not, riffing not even on, making fun of it. No, as much as it. As you it have could. you have Lord of the Rings, you have uh, Game of Thrones, you have all of these stories from the fantasy world that they could be playing on, and it ends up being a very simple story of this princess who just doesn't want to be a princess, and and. And I don't think it taps into all the creative energies that um, that they brought to Simpsons or Futurama. I mean, I assume I'll get through it all, but at, at this point, I'm not I'm not enchanted. Yeah, 
Oh, it was good. You you are I'm, the you you're you're yeah. I'm disenchanted. Yeah. Oh. Wow. Um. Another week, another check in about Movie Pass. Still around. <laughs> still around. I can't believe it's still there, but it's it's such on fumes. I don't even know what's going on. So the latest limitation mm-hmm. to Movie Pass is that. Of the movies, unlimited movies that you can watch, mm-hmm. there are only six options for every designated week. Six titles. Wait, you mean I can go to see any six movies I want? Nope. You can only see you can see <laughs> as only the six movies they've designated <laughs> as the six movies available. Oh my god! For for this week, have I heard of any of them? Yeah, no, they're they're okay. they're a mix of new releases and some more obscure things. Uh, but also emitting a lot of the very popular sh- uh, new releases, so more limited. Like the new week. Muppet movie, you can't see that. You can't. Oh, well, I, I'd be surprised. I thought that was that one. It's got a red ripe, line under it, ripe for a uh, for movie pass. Oh wait, maybe you can. Maybe you can. I, uh, you, you guys know I host a, a screening at the Alamo Draft House, and like movie pass works at at Alamos. And every month I see somebody on the phone with MoviePass customer service because, like, something has gone wrong with it. So, I don't know. It'll be gone in a, in a few weeks. You can. You can see the new Muppet movie, which is called The Happy Time Murders, by the way. And you can see Crazy Rich Asians, which is, like, the hottest thing out there right now. This doesn't seem that bad. Yeah, it is. Can you see The Meg? Nope. <laughs> can you see Mission Impossible? Oh, God, no. Oh, yeah. See? No. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, all right. Uh, next couple stories. DS9. I'm sorry, Jeremy. We're going to talk about Deep Space Nine. Why? Why Why were we talking about it or yeah. why are we sorry? No, why are we talking about it? So back in Star Trek Las Vegas, the convention happened a couple weeks ago. Uh, there was a panel, Deep Space Nine, and there's the upcoming documentary, which we're very excited. Shore and I are very excited for. But what was revealed was that one of the uh, showrunners, uh, Ira Stephen Bear, uh revealed his original intent for the ending of the series. Now, we are in, in the Star Trek, the pantheon of Star Trek, we regard Next Generation as having the best finale. All good things. It's one of the best finales of any television show, I think. True. Tying in all the themes, resolution for all the characters, leaving just enough of the loose ends for them to jump into their, their uh, lustrous film careers. Uh, I would say Deep Space Nine... Mm-hmm does an equally good job tying things together with the way it ended its story. Very satisfactory, very Star Trek, and um, and a great way to end the first hugely serialized Star Trek series. How many seasons were there? Seven. Okay. Seven, that's, that was the magic number. Seven seasons for TNG, DS9, and Voyager. Hmm. And without going into the spoilers for what the... Uh, how the show actually ended, because I know, Jeremy, you haven't watched it, and we yep. still implore you to watch the show. Mm-hmm. The One of the original endings that was considered was it was all a dream. Oh, yeah. Everything in Star Trek DS9 was in the mind of a science fiction writer. You mean like in the writer's room, they threw that out and had a laugh and then moved on? No, because one of the, uh, and, and this is a minor spoiler, one of the best episodes in Star Trek DS9 is a reimagining is is set in um what is it like 60s 1950s or yeah. 50s 50s America where a struggling science fiction writer played by Avery Brooks the captain of of D, uh, the commander of DS9 
um, is writing a story about DS9 as an allegory for all the things that Star Trek is an allegory for. The, the, the sharing of cultures, racism, you know, war. Mm -hmm. This would have been unsatisfying in the moment, but I think, you know, it would have been really interesting. What I think is funny is, uh, I think, you know, when he pitched the idea, they were like, well, DS9 intersects with like Voyager. And does that mean G. that all what those? What does that mean? And he's like, I don't know. I don't care. That's I only care problem. about DS9. <laughs> yeah. I, I don't think that would have been a satisfying way to, for it to end. I don't know about your dreams, but my dreams are not as logical as a TV show. Like, it wouldn't make sense that you'd have a dream that made so much well, sense. Not, not a dream, not a literal dream per se, but like the imaginings of it was all a book. It was all oh. like the world of Star Trek was just set in the pulp, the pages of a pulp magazine. Um, Sounds like red shirts. A little bit. Yeah. The a, book. Little, a little bit like that. And, and they did kind of the whole series being a, um, in, uh, for Enterprise, the whole se series being kind of a dream or a, hmm. a simulation in, uh, for the finale of Enterprise. Hmm which I don't care to spoil because I, have, I, don't, I don't revere it as much. Um, they didn't make it to seven seasons. I don't think they did. Yeah. yeah. But do you want to know how that, that series ended? Have oh, you ever yes, watch I it? do. I do. You want to know? Yep. So Enterprise you is know? about the NX-01, right, it, before the original series. This yeah. is about the very early days of the Federation, the first ship with the, this type of warp drive, and they go through. It's a lot of meeting of the Andorians and the same the same alien races we've been familiar with in Star Trek. Mm -hmm. uh, but it was more like a kind of military type vessel, more of a submarine. You know, not not the polished look that we had in Star Trek. And at the end, it is uh, the very the finale of Enterprise is how these races come together to form the Federation, essentially, uh, because there is no Federation, there is mm -hmm. no Starfleet as we know it. Mm -hmm. So as they get together. They, and there's like a big like UN style assembly yeah. of these races with led by Archer, the captain of the NX01. Mm -hmm. um, the Vulcans are there, I assume. Uh, I believe, yeah. They were first yeah, contact, yeah, yeah, right? Yeah. yeah. There's it, a Vulcan crew member on that. Mm. They pull back, and Riker and Troy are what? there <gasps> watching. in their TNG uniforms, watching, and you realize the whole thing is a history lesson in. In, in the holodeck <gasps> and they open they say bridge or door <laughs> and, and then they walk out and they're wearing like season four or five era yeah. and it really the whole history of the federation yeah. was a history lesson for Riker to remind himself uh, himself about the ethics in the of the federation and it's very much seated in one of the TNG episodes where he comes to it within a personal crisis uh, of, of leadership and he has, a, and, and it's like a therapy session for him and Troy, and it's Jonathan Frakes and Rita Sirtis in their TNG uniforms, looking a little older. So this was something that happened, in, like at a commercial break in yes, the original exactly. TNG episode. Exactly, I well, love that. That's cool. That's a hundred hours of holiday time straight yeah. <laughs> through. That is like serious binging. Well, what what, what you I, I guess what the showrunners intended there, and I'm sorry for that. We're spoiling Enterprise, but I'm actually not sorry. Uh, is that the whole the history happened, but it was that final the final episode that what happened. It was a fast forward in time. Yeah, that's cool. <laughs> kind of the, the way they like they take final episodes seriously. Kind of they, they work up to them. Yeah, yeah. Uh. This is the best thing I've ever heard about Enterprise. I don't know what you're talking <laughs> about. <laughs> that had some TNG in it. Okay, uh, last two stories: uh, Lego Star Wars, a new giant Lego Star Wars set. It's a play set. And it is Cloud City. 
Oh, does it have a little like weird chips? It has has some chips. Has a small version of Slave One. Has the carbonite chamber. Has the dining scene, uh, the dining room scene, the betrayal scene, and um, the interesting thing for Lego fans is that this twenty eight hundred piece set is now called uh, under the Master Builder series. Hmm. Uh, so it's not UCS, and so they may be Lego may be differentiating between play sets in the Master Builder series and the UCS Ultimate Collector series as more the the standalone stat like you know display statues. Uh, but UCS is the standalone display statues. Is that yes, what you mean? Yeah. And yeah. what so what what is this? This is more playset. You're encouraged to yeah. you know to, Oh, to like play. fiddle. I got gotcha. you. Yeah, okay. Yeah. Actually play with your toys. Yeah. Okay, I can see that. Uh, it looks pretty good. 2800 pieces. Um and I'll be out soon. Went to the Lego store when I was in Anaheim. They had the Voltron set up. So oh. I finally got to see that in person. Nice. It's on it's been on sale. I People know. Built it. I know yeah. you saw it. Yeah. You saw that you met the creator of it. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um it's super cool looking. Yeah. Um, and then finally, uh, any Magic the Gathering players in this room? I I never played Magic. I played the the Star Trek Next Generation card game. Oh, t- the CCG. I played yeah. that too. That was great. It was fun. I love it. That was also Wizards of the Coast. Uh, I don't know if that was a Richard Garfield design though. Uh, Magic the Gathering came out in 1993, and already in 1994 there were tournaments set up and a YouTube channel. Um, uh, the MTG Breakdown or uh, MTG, MTG Breakdown Show, they have an episode where they found VHS footage from 1994 mm-hmm. of a Magic tournament and they dissect the gameplay. Like a year after it came out? Yeah. How did they, who was shooting this footage? I don't know. Huh. That'd be cool though. Because I imagine if you're a player, what cards did they have? Exactly. One year into Magic. That was, oh, right. they had some crazy cards. You were playing then? I played in like 96, 97 is when I started playing. Okay. Well, I think one of my first posts on the internet was about trading for magic cards. Really? Yeah. It's not, it's not pretty. Like on use, on Usenet? It was, it was on some forum because I was, uh, I was in college and we had like a proprietary thing. Um, it was, it was not, it was, it was pretty jargon filled and it did not make me sound good. If you put it on a college forum, that was not the internet. I'm going to say that wasn't the internet. There are well, two no, things that, that are called that. out specifically in this video. One, because this was like pre-revised. This is like alpha beta or alpha edition, whatever it was called. Black Lotus. Black Lotus makes an appearance. The rarest. What is that? Most valuable. When I was in. Gr- Zero cost card that gives you three mana. <laughs> but the rarest Ridiculous. magic card. If you collected Scribe you magazine did, did you, or, you or Wizard magazine. No, I know that. You knew that. <laughs> wow. Like. I remember back in late 90s when I was in middle school, people were making counterfeit magic cards. And people, if you flip through the Wizard magazine yeah. and look at the prices, a card worth $400 was mind-blowing. They for had that in the 90s? Yeah. Oh and God. the card is now worth about uh, $8,000. And the cavalier way in which these 1994 players not only play the card but handle the cards unsleeved <laughs> was an abomination. And then even worse, hmm. shuffling the deck. They shuffled it like it was a deck of cards. They yeah. did a bridge fold and bent the cards to yeah. shuffle their magic cards. Well, they didn't know. They didn't know how much these would be worth. They didn't know. Early days. I got to admit, I'm really into Commander these days. So if there are any Magic fans out there, I recommend the Command Zone series. That's on YouTube. Excellent Commander-based play. Uh, all right. That does it for Pop Culture News. Thank you.
All right. Um, just announced today as we're recording this. This was a postponed announcement from DJI, but the new Mavic 2 series, which kind of everyone knew. It was yeah. an open secret. It's the, like the uh, new the, NVIDIA cards. <laughs> it finally made their debut. Uh, two Mavic 2s. There's the Mavic 2 Pro and the Mavic 2 Zoom. Mm-hmm. And this might be the... the the best drone to buy, consumer drone to buy. What do you think? Like, this is the best drone ever made, like they always are. Well, previously, you had three lines of um, of uh, DJI drones, yeah. right? You had the, on the very high-end Inspire, mm-hmm. which they're still aiming for people in filmmaking, right? Very uh, interchangeable cameras, the le- modules. The legs rise so that it le- gets out of the way of the camera. 360 view, th- view because the legs rise. Uh, you have a very high bit rate um, video storage. Uh, multi-user control for cinematography, flight and cinematography, very powerful rotors um, to fly in conditions and have very stable shots. Mm -hmm. Uh, Professional tool. Then you had on the high end, like the the Phantom series, Mm -hmm. right? The Phantom Pro. And the Phantom 4 Pro, very versatile, uh, still still kind of small, good camera, inch camera sensor. And that had been like the great sweet spot for people who want to, have something that's relatively portable, throw in the trunk of their car, not necessarily in their backpack, but then also get really nice camera footage. Um, and then on the Mavic line with the Mavic Air mm-hmm. and the Mavic Pro, you had something that was really compact. You could throw this in, the, in your backpack. But the image quality, even though it shot 4K video, I would say more for hobbyists and more, for, but not for production. Uh, now they're taking the form factor of the Mavic with the Mavic 2 Pro yep. and they're putting in what looks to be a camera that's even better than what's on the Phantom 4. It's an inch sensor, one-inch sensor, with uh, a camera system that's designed in partnership. Well, they purchased Hasselblad, co-engineered camera module, 20 megapixel, and and it shoots uh, in their 10-bit D-log and with high dynamic range, 4K video. So that big uh, sensor is going to give you good low-light sensitivity? Good low light, uh, actually some depth. Um, and what do you just, mean? You're going to be able to get a little depth of field on your on, shots? On near objects, yeah. But you, but you can't change focus. Right? Yeah. I mean, okay. it's, all, it's all autofocus still. Huh. Uh, and that's going to be four, uh, $1,450, so almost $1,500. Uh, $200 less than that is the Mavic 2 Zoom with a smaller sensor, uh, one by uh, one over 2.3 inches, and which is the standard size for what you'd find in the past generations. Mm-hmm. And now it has a zoom, though. It's 24 to 48 millimeter equivalent. 24 is wide, 48, close to 50, which is a human eye equivalent. Mm-hmm. Um, an active uh, uh, zoom. Optical zoom. Optical zoom. That's neat. Yeah, and a digital zoom on top of that if you want to go from 4K to 1080, which gets you then to almost nope. 100 millimeter. Turn that off. You don't want that. You can do that in post. So that can do uh, 4K video and bit rates of 100 megabits per second. So assuming this flies very similarly to the previous edition, this sounds great, right? I kind of want wish there was one product that both did the optical zoom and the image quality, and I think How that'll would they be the do that, though? Uh, you you just need a bigger camera um, and bigger lens. But that means more weight. So. Yeah, more weight exactly. But they're taking advantage with of those optical zoom features with some automation, so you can do automated dolly zoom, fly toward a subject. Wait a minute, what are you talking about? Auto- f- How is it automatic? So you fly, it'll track a subject because they have subject tracking. For, yeah. 
So recognize how far you may be away. Mm -hmm. I'll fly toward you. Mm -hmm. And as I fly toward you, the optical zoom will automatically pull back wider. Mm. So it looked like a Spielberg style Does dolly zoom. compression of the shot. Yes, but the subject stays the same size in the middle. Right. Yeah. Huh. Okay. I mean, it just seems to me like they just keep iterating. Like, it's always, the new one's always the one to get. Are you going to try to test, get this in to test it out? I am, and even though the image quality, I'm super interested. Like, the, the I always care about image quality, um, so I would want to go with the pro. The zoom, like, check out this this GIF of uh, the dolly zoom. Yeah, that's what we're talking about. Um, with the, the Mavic 2 zoom, like, that actually, I like, I, I'm, excited about different types of shots being able to make made in the sky like mm-hmm. standard wide angle you know fly pan over or tilt up shot yeah this aerial cinematography is still i think in in the nascent days um next up uh we have rumors uh apple will have their event probably in september for new iphones they always do they always do and probably either at that event or shortly after they'll have a new ipad pro because it's about time for new ipad pro what about an ipad mini uh that may come as well that's what the rumor or not ipad mini oh no ipad mini the ipad mini is dead mac mini i love my ipad mini yeah i know um but the Mac Mini, and even though we had new MacBooks already this year, a new replacement for the MacBook Air finally. What they're calling, well, not what Apple's calling, but what some are calling a low cost. What does low cost mean? Low cost means $1,000. Low $1, cost still means $1,000. $1,000. Like, get the, that out of here. The, the cheapest but. MacBook you can buy right now, MacBook Air, the only MacBook with a non-high resolution display, hmm. uh, had its processor updated last year, and before that was two years ago. But it's not on the latest generation uh, KB Lake or Coffee Lake. And I don't think we'll have Coffee Lake, but we're talking about KB Lake processors on, on this. And, and it's about time. And finally, a high-resolution screen. If they can sell a high-resolution screen, their Retina screen, mm-hmm. on a MacBook Air form factor, maybe slightly redesigned, with a uh, i5 KB Lake, uh, that, that could be really compelling for students. Mm. It's not necessarily a video editing device as you would have on a MacBook Pro, but definitely a great day-to-day computing device. I'm not terribly excited about MacBooks right now or iPhones, but I am kind of curious about what the new watch is going to be because this is the first year, the first uh, watch OS update that excludes the first model. So So you think there's got to be new hardware? That tells me that there's going to be something interesting about the new hardware. Because people with the first gen are going to want to upgrade, and they're not going to want to get something that looks exactly the same. But if it supports the second gen, which does look exactly the same as the first gen. No, it's true. It's true. But the watch has never looked substantially different, and I'm excited for it, too. You think the different look? I mean, iPhones have never really looked that different. Oh, yeah, they have. I mean, they've changed form factor. Like, the watch hasn't. Not at all. You think that's you think that they might change? I'm hoping. You think I, that's that's what will get? You think that that's the cadence? Like it's been what two years, two and a half years that it? since uh, the release of the Apple Watch? You maybe think, like a round face? What are you thinking? I, I'm hoping for something a little sli- uh, sleeker, but S- maybe slimmer, I'm, sleeker. Maybe I'm dreaming. And they need that battery. We space. should know soon, right? Because it's usually pretty early September that this happens. So yeah. we should get an announcement about an event soon. Mm. Maybe mm-hmm. go check the Bill Graham Auditorium. No, they'll probably do this at headquarters now. Yeah, the new one. Mothership. Oh. Um, on the Google side, we have yet another leak of the Pixel 3 XL. Yeah, I mean, these are really crazy, dubious leaks in the sense that the it, it's like 
some Ukrainian dealer got a hand on it and was selling them for $2,000 and like some Russian reviewer got a hand on it and then posted a video. So take it with like a grain of salt. But it does look like what a Pixel 3 would look like. The with big, a notch, with a chin. Yeah, notch, chin, um, uh, no, uh, edge to edge. Uh, they did say the one thing um, that makes it seem like it's definitely a Pixel is that it's a glass back on half. But it's metal. It's not metal. It's plastic instead of metal. Oh, interesting. Um, below that glass piece, which indicates wireless charging. Yeah. And then there's a video from one of the um, uh, Russian um, uh, uh, owners that shows it wirelessly charging. Uh, that's not a huge um, feature inclusion to me. I thought they had that already. No, there's not wireless charging on a Pixel. Huh. So... Uh, but I'll be interested to see. I mean, this should come out in the first week of October. That's typically when it launches, so we don't have long to wait. I got to get over this notch thing, don't I? Yeah, you do. Embrace it. Embrace the notch. And after everyone embraces the notch, Apple will get rid of it and laugh all the way to the bank. Their trillion dollar bank. Uh, Jeremy, you want a MacBook? Do you want Parallels or uh, Bootcamp? Uh, uh yeah, right. I don't really do either, but I have what? both. I have okay. both, and uh, and uh, Parallels is is handy in a pinch. Yep, because you can run your Windows applications in a window in Mac OS, as opposed to having to boot again. Yeah, but it's been costly in the past uh, because of uh, just how much disk space it stores, it takes mm -hmm. up, and the boot time for Parallels. Well, Parallels fourteen better than Bootcamp though. Yes, having reset completely. Boot uh, Parallels fourteen though has been released with support for the newest version of Mac OS. And they say its version of virtualized Windows will use up to 20 gigabytes less disk space, which I think on a MacBook is a lot. Yeah. Um, and it'll open, um, it'll open files and uh, 30% faster Cool for that. Uh, cost is always a problem with, with Parallels because you can buy a license for 100 bucks, or you can subscribe for, what is it, $80 a year? which is, is kind of weird. Yeah. There's also a difference between the home and the pro version. So if you're running the home version of Parallels, which I think is that $100 um, just one-time cost, you're limited to 8 gigs of RAM oh, uh, for Windows. That's yeah, lame. So you can't tap into huh. to all the RAM. Plus you have to buy Windows on top of it. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So that's just an update for people who have newest version of Mac OS who may want to run Parallels. And then finally, uh, bleeding into a little bit of the VR Minute, uh, our friends at iFixit have... A teardown of the Magic Leap. Very interesting. Beautiful photos, as always. A very comprehensive teardown. When we jump to the end, they gave it a 3 out of 10 repairability score. Of course. I don't think this is something that was meant to be repaired at all. Well, not by the user. Not by the user, for yeah. sure. Uh, but it did reveal a little bit of the technology in the headset. I mean, a lot of things that we had deduced based on our usage of it. Or suspected. Or suspected, including... Uh, the uh, the six degree freedom uh, six off magnetic sensor coil, which is that little box on the right side of the headset, and uh, in the controller they have a uh, emitter um, that, that uh, works with that. Mm -hmm. And then they actually taking apart the display, you can actually see the uh, the light panel, which they say is an omnivision panel, um, a field sequential color. Elcos device. Elcos isn't that from Star Trek? No, Elcars. Yeah, in Star Trek. Was it Elcos? 
uh, it's a type of display. Hmm. Um, and it's like a projector, like a mini, mini, mini display. And is it DLP? It's not. No, it's liquid, liquid crystal on silicone. Okay. Silicon, hmm. not silicone. And uh, that's what pumps light into those waveguides. Cool. Wow. Uh, right off to the side of it. So you can see a little more of exactly how, what the direction the light uh, bounces in. They have some really cool diagrams. Our, our friend Zach Radding was the first to suggest to us that, that the controller might be uh, detected using magnetic waves. So props to him for nailing that one. Yeah. Um, and um, it, the breakdown um, really lends credence to the fact, the assumption that we had that the waveguides on the uh, Magic Leap are split in the RGB. And that's why we see that kind of the color fringing and <coughs> glow. Hmm. Um, because that's how the uh, the Elcos projector works. I would love to see that under a microscope. Yeah, I mean, that, I mean, the I uh, the, the waveguide. Yeah, that's amazing. Yeah. Uh, also confirmed inside um, the uh, eye tracking sensors. Um, there's so many, so many little pieces of chips and hardware and sensors on this thing. I wonder if they'll end up doing more with the eye tracking, rather than just checking for convergence. Yeah. Yeah, it's there. Yeah, exactly. I wonder right. if, if the tech is capable of, uh, of deducing where you're... As an input mechanism. ...where you're looking. Right, as an yeah. in- input for, for software. Did you do the eye um, <coughs> calibration? No. Go into settings and do that? No. I'm trying to remember if that calibrated based on where you're looking or where your head was facing. Oh. I forget. Interesting. Um, and they uh, took apart the, um, the computer unit as well mm-hmm. to, to look at all the guts of that. Uh, really interesting stuff. Go to iFix.com and you can check out uh, all of... That uh, that breakdown and their beautiful photos that go along with it. <clears throat> Before we jump to our next segment, I want to thank the sponsor of this week's episode, and that is the National Highway Traffic Safety Administration. Everyone knows about the risks of drunk driving drunk. Uh, you could get in a crash. People could get hurt or killed. But let's take a moment to look at some of the surprising statistics. Almost 29 people in the United States die every day in alcohol-impaired vehicle crashes. That's one person every 50 minutes. Even though drunk driving fatalities have fallen by a third in the last three decades, drunk driving crashes still claim more than 10,000 lives each year, and many people are unaware that driving while high can be just as dangerous. In 2015, 42% of drivers killed in crashes tested positive for drugs. And from 2007 to 2015, marijuana use among drivers killed in crashes doubled, The truth is driving while high is deadly. So stop kidding yourself. If you're impaired from alcohols or drugs, don't get behind the wheel. And if you feel different, um, if you feel different, you drive different. Drive high and get a DUI. Drive sober or get pulled over. Moment of science. All right. I, I may not do this next story justice, but it is a really, really, really big deal. Uh, so about 10 years ago, uh, researchers stumbled into a cave in Siberia. It was called the Denisova Cave. And at that time in 2008, our understanding of the origins of, of man essentially went like we had uh, an ancient sort of human uh, a, a predecessor to us that roamed, but they're also at the same time Neanderthals that roamed at around the same time. We're talking about like 30,000 years ago. 
And we had at that point some hints that there were some Neanderthal mating with humans. And that's why, you know, when you get a 23andMe test, they'll come back and say that we're, you know, 2.7% Neanderthal. Guilty. Um, and uh, that was our understanding. When they entered this cave and then they sequenced the DNA from some of the fossils they found there, it didn't match up to Neanderthal and it didn't match up to our ancient human relatives. They found a whole third ancient human species. They ended up naming them the Denisovans because after the cave. So this is like out in Siberia. And they essentially sort of posited that this group of humans roamed in an area that was near like kind of Russia, Kazakhstan, China, kind of Mongolia area. So like pretty far um, east. Uh then they started wondering, like, did the Neanderthals actually come in contact with the Denisovans? Was there actual intermingling between the two? And at this point, um, before this announcement uh, this past week, they had uncovered four kind of fossils, maybe maybe a few more than that, but essentially four full fossils uh, of human of Denisovans from that uh, from that cave. Well, they unearthed one this week, or they made the announcement this week. Uh, and when they did the DNA analysis, the um, fossil came back as having a Denisovan father and a Neanderthal mother. And now we have, like, a really strange situation. So not only did these two groups come in contact, but they may have intermingled and then reproduced, um, which may indicate what we started to see over the past few years is that we we are finding Denisovan DNA in our in ourselves too uh, so this is one of those like throw out what we think humanity's origins are um and and rewrite uh a paragraph of that story this is like a a massive deal like there's a whole other set of people that were roaming the earth that had uh, that actually bred and led to to us so i think it's it's one of those remarkable stories and the fact that they actually bred with the neanderthals um, it, it'll be interesting where this goes in terms of understanding how much that was, if that was very infrequent, because Neanderthals like really lived in this kind of Eastern European kind of area uh, down through what we would call like Persia and that kind of area. So until when, like until what we're, time we're talking about, like 50, 30 to 50,000 years ago. Wow. Um, so the fact that we're also uncovering clues about where, you know, the origins of man were. 30 to 50,000 years ago is mind blowing in and of itself. Um, I think this is, this is just one of those uh, stories that I, I haven't even fully digested. It essentially, the story came out yesterday uh, and I'm still kind of unpacking details from it. Is this DNA evidence? I thought they just looked at bone structure. No, they're, they're actually doing sequencing. Wow. On uh, elements from inside the bone as well. So, uh, it, it, it's a big deal. There's a great write-up by Carl Zimmer in the New York Times about this. There's stories about this everywhere. The Atlantic, you know, Ars Technica, everywhere. I'll put some links in. Um, but I think it's just one of those cool stories. Uh, and lastly, I will mention uh, that uh, a story about auroras. Back in March, uh, scientists confirmed mm-hmm. that citizen scientists have found a new aurora. An aurora is just basically charged particles hitting our atmosphere and with enough energy, they create that sort of lighting effect that we see with the Borealis and other things. Well, they found a new one, and scientists this week finally confirmed 
that it's not just new it's mm. a totally distinct phenomena i'll put a video of it in um in the show notes uh, but it is the strong thermal emission velocity enhancement aurora or steve because that's what the citizen science scientist named it where is it uh it's uh it's subpolar it's it's so on i can't see it up north of canada yeah all right the VR Minute Virtual Reality This Week Ooh, Actual some news to talk about uh, This week We are now a month away From um, From Oculus Connect I'm excited for that What do you think will be there hardware wise It's all about Santa Cruz yeah, it is all about Santa Cruz. If you look at the topics that they'll be discussing, it's just—it's clearly this is the year of Santa Cruz, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and I bet next year will be Rift Two. Next, next Oculus Connect. Exactly. Right. That that sounds about right. It's exciting because so, you, you get like Go, Santa Cruz, Rift Two. It amps up every year. So the speculation you have that Go is a one-year product. That I, could be it. Who knows? I I think that they're testing the waters with that. They're going to see is there a market for a two hundred dollar VR headset that does right. what the for Go that does. type of content. Yep. Yeah, I don't know if if, it, if it's what they hoped or not, but mm-hmm. it's it, it is what it is. But and I, I tell everybody who asked about the Go, if you really want, if this is your only VR thing and you want wireless, hold out because Santa Cruz is where it's it's going to be. So if you expect this to all be about Santa Cruz, do you expect many more demos and even some? Even some content that might have been developed for it. Oh, like I, I wouldn't be surprised if we see like a whole slide full of ports that, that are under works for it from Rift, not from Go. You know, and it's not going to be an easy thing to port what you know mm-hmm. PC content to a mobile platform. But we'll see people give it their best shot. So none of us are expecting a Santa Cruz launch at next month. There, no developers have been seated with these devices, but they're not ready to. This is the event to get people to be a kind of a public unveiling for developers. A name, a price, a release time frame. A release time frame, which we anticipate to be early next year, first half of next year. Yeah. I think is a generous window for that. Uh, quarter uh, one, according to reports. What do you think is the name? <laughs> what do I think is the name? I have no idea. I mean, I wouldn't have thought of Go. It's not going to be Rift. You think it'll be like Rift Portable? I, don't, I think it'll have a whole new name. Oculus. Oculus. Link. <laughs> Freedom. Yeah, right. Oculus Air. Yeah. So it, it, it'll be, it won't be called Santa Cruz is our, is our assumption. No. You think they'll announce a, a price, price for it? Yeah. And like, I'm, I'm, I don't ask me what that is because I, I want to ask you what that is. I will pay it. Like I'm just, oh, come I am, on. I, no, dude, no. I am so ready to write Oculus a blank check for this device oh. because it is a pain in the you ass. You can't say that. That's not. You gotta have like what? What is? What do you think is a fair price for the hardware? Because it's mobile computing. You hardware. think I'm alone? There, there are dozens of people like me. <laughs> That's not enough. <laughs> no, We're talking not. about reaching the mass no, no, market. No, no. Though. It's not. It's, I'm saying I am addicted to this. I yeah. can't wait for the new technology. And I, I've used this. I know what to expect. It can only be better than what we tried a year ago. And I'm ready for it. Um, it's, it's. I don't like the process of being tethered and putting it on and waiting for Oculus to boot up. I love the convenience of the go. Just it's always VR. It's always on and ready to go as long as there's battery life. And the, the combination of those two is exciting. Okay. You think over or under 500? What's the over or under on 500? I bet, I, I'm betting on 500, actually. That's where I think it would come in because it can't be twice as much as – what is the Go? 300. 300 right no, now? No, no. The, no go, the Go is – the Rift is 300, but that's not without a PC. 
Yeah, yeah. So I'm I'm figuring it can it can support a little more than two x the go, just given just how much more advanced it is. You don't think they'll go two hundred, three hundred, four hundred? But it's got more processing to do. It's got to do all that tracking. I I get that, but I'm saying if it, if they go three times as much as the go, like to six hundred. Oh, well, price be, wise, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Five hundred. I mean, the value proposition they're going to sell is that this is kind of uh, like a console, but you don't even need a TV. Right. This is all inclusive, mm-hmm. which is the go. That's why the go is such a uh, compelling deal. Even more so than the lack of six off from the headset with the go. The limiting factor is the single non-track controller. controller. Exactly. And this is two controllers, hand presence. Yeah. And I think that a lot of it also depends on that software, the software experiences and wh- whether there will be, which is the speculation, that there will be a, a unified SDK for making content for Rift and whatever Santa Cruz will be called. If you can, if developers can make games that can work on Rift, with hand presence, and on Santa Cruz, they're going to see a yeah. lot more content. As long as they can hit performance. Performance, exactly. You know, sixty FPS probably on on something like Santa Cruz. Just seventy-two. Seventy-two. Like, uh, they can't go down for they... media, but seventy-two is really for media. It's for, for an, anybody who wants to use it. It yeah. reduces flicker for some people. Right, but then you're talking about slower fidelity experiences in general. I'll bet it'll be the same panel, same. Um, same hardware as Go. As Go. Oh, that's and they and they had the vote stuff for tracking as yeah. well. Yeah. And the Go. They better have a beefed up battery then. Oh my god. That's, that's going to really be. All, I mean, limitations are good for for creativity, right? And this is going to be on developers come up with interesting applications. And the fact that you're going to have freedom of movement and 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 presence in very simple worlds mm-hmm. you, that would make Catan a lot more fun. It will make it will make. Very basic experiences, a lot more enjoyable, mm-hmm. and allow you to do very social experiences as well. I'm more curious about the the scope of the tracking, and my thinking is that they're going to limit it to like one room. This is not going to be a device for you to for the walk around your entire house. Or I don't expect any kind of object tracking. I don't expect. Well, to, how big is the area that it can it can right recognize? I'm, I'm not even expecting to do a perimeter. I'm just expecting it to like give me a. Really, a, a no. you determine your a own circle partner. to stand in. Oh, that's what I'm imagining. And 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 so guidelines for developers don't make experiences where the person has to walk beyond a five by five area. If I can do a perimeter, great. Can you? I, you can do that with Windows Mixed Reality, can't you? Draw a perimeter. Y- yeah, but Rift is tethered, and yeah. so by default, teleportation or some type of locomotion trick has to be employed because you can't walk around. Mm-hmm. Santa Cruz isn't. I know. So I, I want, I mean, we all want. You want huge room scale, if possible. Some type of freedom to, to at least. And then you need that because you can't walk into your walls. And then you need some perimeter tracking. You need uh, hmm. memory. You need just bigger spaces mean more more processing, yeah. more storage for the mapping. Well, that's, that's something that I think they hadn't really worked on when we tried it a year ago. The demo uh, that I tried a year ago had one experience that was walking in a mm-hmm. like 10 by 10 room. It wasn't just standing in, and then they didn't encourage you to walk to the end of the room and look down. So, mm-hmm. but most people's homes and rooms aren't built that way anyway. They have chairs and furniture. Yeah. And so most people were still going to be using relatively small spaces. So I, I speculate that the type of uh, software experiences they'll encourage developers to make will be more, f- will allow a lot of head movement, but not a lot of like walking around movement. Yeah. I, I mean, Oculus has, pretty much stuck to a standing baseline since they launched Rift. So if they did a naturally, like a room scale first product, yeah. that would be new for them. 
Well, it would probably be 360 then. Standing 360. That's what I mean. Right. Yeah, yeah. It will obviously be 360. Yeah. Yeah. Not not really room scale then. Right. Um, okay. Uh, next up, um, PSVR news. Uh, PSVR sales very strong, apparently. This is, this is surprising to you guys. How many headsets have they sold? Three million. Which is? is a jump from a million yeah. from last year. That's it's good. a steady. It is a surprise to me because what are the titles that are just killing it that make you want to buy this thing? And is it a bundle thing? Is it because right. of the bundle or is it all aftermarket? They have a lot more than 3 million PS4s in the world. What this tells me is that Santa Cruz is going to be a bigger success than Oculus has had yet because people want it. They just don't want to pay for a PC. Right. So they already have the PlayStation. Yeah. They're happy to drop, what is it, uh, 300, 400 for the PSVR? Uh, 200 something. Yeah. So, I mean, that's, I think that that's why. Because it is affordable. Right. I think, and and I think it, it, PlayStation, Sony, knowing this, um, it gives them a lot of reason to really invest in in games, which is what we saw at E3. They had the strongest showing Mm -hmm. of diversity of games and just, developers because they know this is this is a proven user base of people who will buy stuff indie too. Su- indie support not just all first party things yeah um the, yeah. one of the best games i played was wipeout we played that mm-hmm. earlier this year and that was a game that was made so you could play on a flat screen mm-hmm. or in vr and of, of course moss uh, i didn't enjoy moss as much as some people did really you don't like the third person N- well i don't mind third person but i do mind a, a um a locked camera mm. I, I want to float behind the character if it's going to be third person. Well, that's that's your, that's a uh, Edge of Nowhere style. Sure, or Lucky's Tale, or a thousand other things. You know, there's there's games on Go that do it. Um, I just I couldn't stand that the camera was locked down. Were you getting real close? That's that's where that's the type of game where having very focal displays mm-hmm. would really help. Yeah, because you really want to get up close and get some depth of field. Yeah. And so maybe that's something that Oculus will encourage next year when we see uh, uh, Rift Two. Um, on the Vive side, we finally have an announcement for release date and price for Vive wireless adapter. Hot dog. So I think this falls very much in line with what we hoped the price would be, $300 for a wireless adapter. Mm-hmm. Uh, you have to pay, and I think there's a little bit of controversy in the, in the community of this, an extra $60 if you want the adapter to work with uh, the Pro, the Vive Pro. Why? Because the Vive Pro is just like sucking money out of your wallet i don't know <laughs> um i think that they designed it for vive in mind and the complaints are that this is just another nickel and diming scheme by htc okay. i'm sure there's some hardware differences i'd rather they do it this way than release two different SKUs, yeah. a vive and a vive pro wireless adapter uh this way you can up this upgrade path mm-hmm. and i think 60 bucks is is you know that's not that much Remind me, have either of you done the Vibe Pro Wireless for an extended period of time? We did it at GDC, not for uh, more than, you know, 15 minutes. Um, but even then, it's great. wireless is... You, lo- you no, immediately... Wa- you lose perspective. You lose, uh, you know, the ability to realize what direction you're facing. Yeah. No, I, I totally agree. Wireless is awesome. I I'm, I'm want to know that it, it's going to work without glitches over, like, a two-hour period when I might be... Yeah. For the length I'm playing it. Uh, because your battery then will be yeah. your biggest problem. Exactly. Well, how long is it supposed to last? I'm, I'm not exactly sure for the, for the battery that, yeah. that they'll include. Uh, this is good news because previously our only option was TPCast, and people have had problems with TPCast on the Vive especially, um, and even on the Oculus side. The software is buggy. 
you get no video feedback for pass through you did an interview with the third party who actually manufactures the hardware for mm -hmm, this mm -hmm. at gdc yeah so if you want to watch that interview i'd recommend it because they seem like they know what they're doing i, yeah. I had a lot of respect for those guys after we, we talked to them and, and those are the people who did the video compression yeah exactly technology their own the stuff. The, tr the wireless transfer is all developed by intel that's just intel's y gig stuff uh oculus actually um uh just applied for a patent for um uh wireless virtual reality systems um, positional tracking assisted beam forming is what the patent says in virtual uh, wireless virtual reality systems it says that it means that they're exploring the idea of wireless potentially uh, it doesn't mean they're actually gonna make that into a product and what they've said to us in the past is they see rift as a wired product because you get the most throughput the best yeah. image quality great lowest latency and we've seen that it can be added as a third party option yep fine yep uh, although with the vive if the vive pro or the vive wireless accessory sells well uh -huh. like it could really open things up and, and and in desktop vr room scale really is a thing like i would love to see and that could really open up vr for location i think for location services mm -hmm. no-brainer yeah wireless they're gonna buy this pack uh software news um Population One. There's a trailer for this game. It's Battle Royale in VR. There are it's there, Fortnite. There is Battle Royale in VR. There's there's a, already exists a, a number of games, but this one looks kind of cool because there's a little bit more to it. Um, there's a climbing mechanic, kind of mm -hmm. like climby. Yep. But there's also the building aspect, and there's a flying aspect. So climbing, that you can gliding. You can wingsuit yourself down to the ground. Yeah. In, in, engage with people in the air. So I like. The, the mobility aspect of this game. This seems like a lot of fun. I don't know. It's going to be out on I'm, all platforms. I'm worried about the jetpacking around and, <coughs> and just the, the nausea of that See, experience. That, that's what I want. Bring it on. Okay. Because I'm, I'm, I don't know if I've got my VR legs or what, but like I'm ready to start moving around. Like There's nothing on the go that moves you in any way that's exciting, and I want more of that. And the climbing mechanic works. It's yeah, proven exactly. To, to really work, add right. gravity to that, add, add flying, it could work as well. Uh, my fear is the just it will be population one. Like you'll be the only one playing it. <laughs> they, they, they can't build an audience base. The scale is what yeah. makes uh, battle royale style games it, work exactly. And that's why we keep on going back to Rec Room. We've been playing some Rec Room lately. There's a new laser tag map. Well, we went in to play Echo Combat. Because yeah. it tr we thought that they had added parties, but apparently that's not it. No, yet. just improve party systems for Arena. So we jumped ship and went back to a Rec Room where they changed the laser tag map to this. That's neat. Laser tag is the most fun game going right now. I mean, beyond the pirate quest, that's the most fun thing. <laughs> no. You don't, you don't think it's, uh, it's, it's the Royale, Rec Royale? I don't think so. I get sick now playing Rec Royale. Every time I come out of Rec Royale, I feel like a little well, ill. Maybe you want to play a teleportation Rec Royale. Yeah, maybe. I find that to be a little difficult. It's that narrowing thing that... I thought you turned that off. That I did turn it off. Didn't help, huh? Didn't I think help. laser tag... I like the pace of laser tag. I don't like the, the weapons in laser tag. I took my son, my 11-year-old son, into Rec Room this past weekend. For the first time, we went in together. Oh. And we walked... We tried all the different modes... And his favorite, I thought he would like laser tag because he's freaking crazy about real laser tag. Mm -hmm. His favorite was uh, paintball. Which is oh. kind of like laser tag. Yeah, except it's more of like one shot, one kill. Yeah. Um, and it's, it's a big arena, you know, two sides, and you're still hiding. It gets you a yeah. lot of the thrill mm -hmm. of the, the Rec Royale, but in a more confined space, and yeah. the pace is faster. Maybe that's it. Yeah. 
um, I think they've done a great job balancing that and making it so people aren't just teleporting. You see a lot of the teleporting to someone's left or someone's right. Uh, maybe they could have a system where um, it's smooth locomotion and teleport, but teleport is only enabled if you're not within the proximity engaging someone. Oh, like if you're within, if your bubble intersects right. with their bubble or, of movement, or if you fire or are hit, if you fire, maybe, yeah, because you have to be the one that's limited. That's interesting. So you have to, once you're engaged in combat, you have to use smooth locomotion, yeah, or physical movement as opposed to the, the easy way of teleporting. I think the teleporting in close quarters combat doesn't really work that well. I'm curious how the, how they have. Uh how they're adjusting over there against gravity as they keep adding more and more modes. How, are they happy with Unity like for as a starting point? Are, was that the right choice to... They can't go back now. No, they can't. But I don't know if they plan to iterate so quickly and how that engine lends itself to that. Would they? Do they wish they had their own solution or maybe gone Unreal? Mm. I don't know. I'd be curious about that. Mm. It's working out for them so far. For sure. I love that app. Uh, last couple bits. Um, Location-based VR... Uh, what is this a uh, two-bit circus VR arcade? Oh, so they're a group that got uh, venture funding. They ran something called a Steam Carnival that was up here and down in LA, and they're opening a arcade amusement park that has a lot of VR components in it. So it's supposedly going to have something like half of the games in there, or, or close to half, are going to have VR components to it. We haven't seen that much in one space in terms of like one VR like one VR arcade. Um, and they've been doing installations for Disney and, uh, and other groups for a while. Um, I'm most interested in they're doing an iteration on something uh, that's like an escape room, but they're calling it a story room. And I want to see what that looks like. I think the, the smart thing to do is do that escape room thing. Cause like it, on, on the surface, building at a restaurant arcade with some VR booths, uh, the culture of that, I don't, it, it reads to me like what the Metreon did, you know, with the, the Mobius arcade 20 years ago. And that's not, I don't think there's a big business because it's expensive to set up those, those themed restaurants and technology gets outdated so quickly. So if you're going to get people into the space with a escape room, which they can iterate on and, and change out from time to time and then have them stay with the restaurant and have them that's that's what i think escape rooms have been missing a thing to do hmm. before and after the escape room maybe a place to chat about the escape room a place oh. to grab a drink a place to have some food and then play some pool or play some uh, vr arcade that's more real estate though you have to pay yeah. for and all that inventory and people to employ i don't know dave and busters have been pretty successful it's in all this space it's the redemption games it's yeah. all people want it's to play that. that's that's the thing and we're not talking about redemption games here if you're talking about VR boots. I see a Killer Queen, uh, so it's not all VR. Mm. No, okay. no, no, no. Yeah, yeah. It's not all VR. But it's, so you it's, think... And it, they are all using Vive at this point. You, th you think that the success of David Musters is the semi-gambling aspect of it, the reward, the risk and reward, the redemption, the ticket redemption is why those, those plays are successful? Well, also that David Musters sucks. Like, there's a lot of room to make that experience much more interesting. I mean, they're making money. Yeah, but come on. Do you like Dave and Buster's for real? I, I'm not why they're making money. Yeah. I mean, Middle America is why they're making money. Well, kid, they're, they're kids. destinations. Just, yeah. just kids, man. They just love the gambling. Uh, Dave and Buster's, you were there recently. Yes, I was. That's why I have such strong feelings about it. Uh, I, uh, 
the kids uh, went back to school to celebrate the end of summer. Said, okay, I'll take you to Dave and Buster's. So we went, and uh, my uh, I went because I said, okay, fine, there is something I want to try, and that's the Jurassic Park VR experience, which above and beyond like your normal tick, uh, tokens that you get to play the regular games, you have to when you buy those tokens, it asks you, do you want to pay five dollars to play the Jurassic Park experience? I said, well, yes, I do. I got two passes, one for me, one for my son. Okay. We, we strapped in. Describe the setup, because it's like a back <laughs> of a truck or something. Yeah, well, it's, it looks like it's a gigantic, it's probably as wide as this room, uh, thing that you sit in, four people across. Maybe there's two rows even. I, I can't tell you because there was, only, there was nobody using it. Oh, so it's just you two. It's just us. Um, it wasn't even turned on. Like I went and, <laughs> and got somebody to come and run the ride for me. I swiped my card, we strapped in, you sit down, you put your seatbelt on, and then he gives you a, a, a Vive headset, probably with the Pro Audio um, thing hooked into it, like the- uh, So it is straight up Vive. It's a straight up Vive with the audio uh, headset. Deluxe audio strap. Deluxe audio strap. Then there's colored Vive controllers. Every player has their own for whatever reason. One con- controller? Yeah, one controller in front of you, and uh, you can see it, of course, when you put the headset on. And then the ride begins, and it's a motion-controlled seat. Sure. That's synchronized to what is just strangely a motion, like a seat in the VR world that is ostensibly on wheels, but you can't see anything like that. Oh, you're that. not actually in a Jeep? No. You're, oh. you're in basically just a big, wide a seat. floating seat. A floating seat. Couch. You're not even one of those, like, circular ball things no. they have from the movie? No. That would have been cool. little hamster ball. No, and then you get lowered down onto the surface, and then you start to roll, although, again, can't see any <laughs> vehicle. You start to roll down the hill, and you see dinosaurs. Initially, they're plant eaters. It's gentle. It's an on-rail ride. Dude, this is the most boring VR experience oh, I have ever no. had in my life. The, tra- the commercials, the trailers, everyone's smiling. It's the worst $5 I've ever spent. Oh. Do you, like, how do you like, uh, you know, interact with the game? You just put your hands out like Chris Pratt? I was like, when do the guns show up? You know what you used your wand for? To scan every dinosaur. <laughs> wow. You were, you were in a birding app. You in hold Jurassic it up. Park. You just line it up with the crosshairs, and it says "ding," and like you scan all you the dinosaurs. Shoot dinosaurs. It's about saving the dinosaurs, right? And then you get, of course, you get attacked, and you're like it's supposed to be exciting, like a roller coaster. Jurassic Park VR, a scientist experience. The whole time that ding, you you are ding. being chased, and like the bridge is out, and like you're being grabbed by a hook on a helicopter. The whole time you're scanning dinosaurs. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, yeah, no. it was really disappointing. So there, there's room for improvement in the location-based VR. They didn't take a picture of you while you were doing it. One of those like Disney ride style, take a picture and just no, uh, <laughs> no. I'm not going to buy that picture. Yeah, <laughs> lots of. I mean, it seems like a bootstrap thing, especially with off-the-shelf hardware and. But what a license! Half baked. Um, just give us the Mario Kart thing that we've yes. all seen. Yes, yes. Just like let's be done with this. Yeah, we messing around. That'd be great. And, and that was with the Vive trackers strapped to your hand. Using your hand, grabbing shells, throwing the shells. Yeah. I want that. Motion controlled also. Mm-hmm. All right. That does it for VR Minute and the podcast uh, this week. Um, we'll do one more podcast next week before you head out to Dragon Con. Uh, Jeremy, anything you want to share? Any other things you've been working on? Um, no. No, but thank you for asking because I might in the future. Okay. 
All right. I, I will say I played Iron Maiden pinball at Jeremy's house. Oh, and? Oh, it's awesome. It's the best thing ever. There you go. It's really good. I'll have to come over and try it. And yeah. he also yeah. convinced me yeah. to buy a Prusa. Are you waiting for an invitation? Because you can come over anytime and play uh, Iron Maiden. I need an. Ex- I need. I need more reason than that, or else you think I, I, you do. I would get a, other people in my family would get offended. Okay. All right. Yeah. Ripley. Yes. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> yeah. Um, you have an outro this week. I'm sure we do. All right. While you talk about while you dig that up uh, on the site, uh, we have a new one day build with uh, Laura Kampf. And uh, if you haven't been watching, you should check out the uh, What a Film series uh, where um, we've been uh, uh, showing the making of the short film we made while we were at What a Workshop uh, earlier this year. And uh, we've been filming more model behavior, some really cool stuff that you'll see in the coming weeks. This is an outro by a new new one. I, I think that. You said something last week about we need more outros. Yes, we still need more outros. If you want, so before we play this one, if you want to contribute and have your piece of music played in, uh, at the end, uh, just search t- tested outro uh, music yeah. uh, in Google, and the first link will be a link to the forum post where you can download the raw file and you can splice in sound clips from past episodes, and we'll pick the latest one to play. <laughs> um, such as this one. Let's it, just say a silent prayer to the Adobe Premiere Pro gods. That we're not oh just dancing God. to something you can't hear. <laughs> oh my goodness. Oh, please, oh, please. I'm sure it. normal check this week, right? All right, this one's from Al Future. It's on my birthday. Hi there, I didn't see you. Test it. We're all very excited to hear. Very excited. Let's temper that a little bit. Very excited. I didn't say very, 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 very. I didn't say very. You're all very excited. Very excited. Wow. Wow! All right, our future. We, he, he actually submitted like three or four. Oh my gosh! Yeah. Want to listen to another one? <laughs> that was when I said we were very excited, and I said we were not. We didn't say it, and I did say it. Internet, nothing ever dies. Wait, you want to hear another one? Nothing ever dies. Let's hear one more. All right, great. I don't want to end on that. All right, one. Here we go. It's my birthday. We do whatever I want. All right. Oh, you know what? He submitted that one twice. <laughs> Never mind. He was he was very excited to submit okay. that one. Well, we got two more, but from other people. We'll play okay, next we'll time. play them next week. Right. Thanks for listening. Bye. I want cobbler. Oh, no way. He did do another one. Oh, my God. Here it is. <laughs> Here we go. Here we go. Let's get the ultimate. Hi there. I didn't see you. Test it. I mean, it is true that just through the process of assimilation, in the ultimate moment of, like, do the shit that you've got to do, absolutely spot on. Do you, do you want to look at this just so that you can, like, you know, get the... Get, get, get the ultimate... Get the pajamas. Test it. <laughs> what? It's a real editor. <laughs> That's awesome. Like a DJ. That's cool. Well done. Too. Well done. All right. Cobbler time. <laughs>